Welcome to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist history and theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Aaron Thorpe. And I'm Jorge Rocha. And we are here today with friend of the show, Alex Gendler. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, glad to be on. Yeah, I think this is the first time you've been on this uh, this new this new ass podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like the fourth time I've been on one of your podcasts, but yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's good. You can tell Sean and Andy that you're my friend now <laughs> and suck a bag of dicks. No, just kidding. Just kidding. It's all all good. Everything is great. Um, anyway, uh, we have you on here today to talk about a very interesting new series called Trauma Zone. What it was like to live through the collapse of communism and democracy, the Soviet Union, not good with years, what, 1985, 1985 to, 19... to 1999. 99. Yeah, got it. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like always go over my notes and then I forget basic shit like the title of the thing that we're talking about. Like the subtitle, um, yeah. Not even the subtitle, the full title. Yeah. 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 So uh, this is an interesting film. Uh, or, you know, by who, seven hour long film by Adam Curtis by the God, uh, Adam of Curtis the BBC. The God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess we talked about it with you at two separate parties, one that I was at and one that Jorge was at. And you were like, hey, man, this is a this is an interesting series. No one's really talking about it. And I was like, cool. I like Adam Curtis, maybe not as much as other people do, but it's like good to watch i enjoy it mm-hmm. so uh yeah let's fucking have at it um i don't know maybe you want to start with our general impressions of the of the seven hour long thing well, which which i watched all of this time i would like to note <laughs> uh the last time we did an adam curtis docuseries on the antifada i almost finished it which one but was that uh, the last one can't get you out of my head. Can't get you. I actually didn't finish that one either. I got it. Well, that. I almost finished it, but then a uh, really annoying. Yeah, Aaron almost friend, didn't finish he it. Shall remain nameless, huh? The Aaron almost didn't finish it when he when he also was hosting the Antifada. Oh yeah, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> in the parallel world, yeah. In the parallel um, world. Someone called me, someone FaceTimed me, not important. I did not finish it. And then someone complained about how I didn't finish it online. So I was like, you know what? I really have to fucking finish this one. And, you know, there's maybe, maybe like in the last one, like in most of them, there's like the last episode is the most important one where he kind of like brings his argument Actually, together. In this but one, it did not seem that way. No. Did it seem that way to you guys? No, no I, was just, I was just about to agree with you, Jamie. It, it actually didn't seem like that in this one because um, like, I guess the premise for like, you just gave the premise with the title, but yeah, it's the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, and then like this- uh, Spoiler everybody. Spoilers, this hyper, this hyper injection of capitalism. But um, like the end, the last episode, like I guess everyone- knew that it was going to be about the rise of Putin but like it's it's almost like hey I hate to put put it in these terms because it's a historical event you know and like not just a historical event but like also like a tragedy but like it's almost like it's almost like a Marvel film like the like the the end credit mid credit scene or whatever like yeah. that where it's like <laughs> Putin the last four minutes are like this guy that he doesn't name because you see the pictures and the photographs and shit yeah, and yeah, the yeah. clippings and you know who he is <laughs> and it's like it's like ha ha 
and yeah, see you know, yeah, the Mookie. villain of the next, the villain in the sequel or whatever. Exactly. Right. Trauma Zone Two, the yeah. extended Adam Curtis universe, the hypernormalization universe. But uh, yeah. like, um, I, I just, I'll just like real quick before because we got like we got a full panel, but um, I, I liked it. Uh, like just art as a film i guess i really liked it i like the fact that um if anyone hasn't seen adam curtis stuff he's this documentarian where he covers um power systems the old systems of power i can't do a british accent but that's usually the kind of what he says right <laughs> he talks about um um these liminal uh eras and times and in his last documentary get you out of, can't get you out of my head like a lot of them, he uses like this vignette kind of storytelling style. So he pulls in all these different narratives from different countries and especially his last one, different individuals. But this one, there was no voiceover. There's no like music. There's no overarching. There is an overarching narrative, but aren't, there aren't like really these characters besides like these oligarchs and politicians who come in and out. And he's everyday people but it's just this whole panoply of like human life during like the collapse of the soviet union and he uses i guess just um like these uh um like texts you know instead of a voiceover and i don't know it just really seeing people laugh and cry and dance while you're also seeing these like these fucking like capitalist robbers just loot the country you know and politicians just seeing that intermix and that like that kind of diametric, I don't know, content was just, I don't know, it was just really overwhelming. Like it was honestly like I was exhausted after watching it. I was like, wow, this is tiring and also very depressing. So yeah, yeah I, I like Yeah, I found it very exhausting to watch. In fact, um, there was one night when I tried to uh, eat dinner while I was watching it and I realized <laughs> that I couldn't do that. Yeah, because their bodies all the screen and shit too. <laughs> there's like, just like so much shit constantly going on and it goes by so fast. You're like, wait, who, who, what, who's that guy? What the <laughs> fuck is going on? And I had to like pause, keep pausing it to take notes. So like, yeah, definitely not a thing it, that you can eat during like it. Or be on your, your, or your phone because like you'll miss like an important piece of text, yeah. like, you know, an uprising in what former Soviet Republic in what year, 1997. You know? I, f- I feel like I'm, I, feel, yeah. I feel like a freak now because like I watch this over the course of several dinners. <laughs> well, look at you. Well, you know, you stay making the rest of us look bad. All right, it's fine. I'm used to it. Um, you just, you just built different. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I to be like, frank, I was like, I, there were times I was eating. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is that? It's just like looking away from the screen. <laughs> Oh, that's a dead body. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some stuff you don't want to watch while you're eating. Um, but yeah, I think maybe it was intentional, although it was very overwhelming because like I'm not super, super familiar with all the events covered. There's all these guys with like long ass Russian names. I'm like, am I supposed to know who that is? Yeah. And they go by in the blink of an eye. I'm like, oh, oh, what the fuck was that? Oh, there's a genocide. Oh, there's another genocide. Shit. Uh, but maybe that was intentional, right? Maybe he wants us to feel yeah. confused because yeah. the people living through the collapse of their society were not not confused. Uh, what do you, what do you guys think, uh, Alex or Jorge? Yeah. So part yeah. So part of this covers like the early part of my life because I was born in uh, what was then in Ukraine, what was then the Soviet Union in '84, uh, and grew up there. And we left in '91 in October 91, uh, two months before the Soviet collapse. So uh, it was interesting to kind of watch like, and you know, obviously I was, I was like seven, but I mean, I was in second grade. I was wearing the like little Octoberists, uh, 
youth uniform and whatever. So, you know, I remember a fair amount of stuff. Obviously, I didn't experience it as an adult. I didn't know what the hell, you know, uh, what was going on politically, obviously. Um, but it's interesting to me to like kind of because this is clearly intended for a Western audience. Right. So the way you guys are experiencing it is probably closer to what um, like the intended viewer would be experiencing. Um, and actually, it's funny because the, the person I was watching it with, uh, she was born uh, right after the Soviet collapse in Moscow. Uh, so it's like where I stopped remembering stuff, she started like remembering stuff. Um so yeah, it's it's like weird. And I think definitely the uh, the way that this departed from his like previous style. Where you, you ever see that tweet, tweet with the Adam Curtis bingo? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I could probably tell you what's on it. Yeah, right? it's it's like but, you know, but nine that inch nails was a fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And then oh. everything changed. Yeah. <laughs> but one man thought different. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, or like Nine Inch Nails soundtrack, uh, or like you know psychedelic colors, like the scenes this fading is a film into about each other. Power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like I, I, it was interesting that he decided not to do any of that, um, and I think part of it was definitely this idea that you know presenting these like really emotionally charged, uh, often like some of the, and it, it, it's very like dis- disorienting, right? Because some of the clips are like. Some of them are funny as hell, right? Like when they're trying to get like the horse in the trailer and they keep coming oh, yeah. back to that. Uh, right. And then that's intercut with like, you know, I was, like, blown go up off dead camp. bodies and children crying. Right. Um, and I guess the idea is to like sort of try to emulate this experience of not having an idea of what's going on and just being like jolted from one thing to another. Um so yeah, I guess I think that definitely was part of his intent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, do it, we... go ahead, go ahead, Jamie. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask: Do we think that this was effective? Because uh, I have sort of mixed feelings about it. You know, on the one hand, I think it definitely did what it was trying to do, where it sort of mimics the feeling of not knowing what the fuck is going on and having shit just fall apart in all sorts of like too many ways to keep track of. Uh, At the same time, you know, you don't have that Adam Curtis monologue sort of synthesizing it or bringing it together. You know, you're, you're left to draw your own conclusions and make your own connections from it. Yeah. Yeah. um, uh, Go ahead, Aaron. Go, go, no, go ahead, Jorge. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think, uh, my my thoughts on 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 it. I so I made I made a comment earlier. Um, I think yesterday that I thought that this film was probably at least a, I've seen. So I've seen Century of the Self. I've seen uh, All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. I've I've seen Hypernormalization. I saw the one that came out last uh, not last year but twenty twenty one, and and then this one. And I, found, I actually think I like this one the least as like a documentary. Mm-hmm. I think I think this is like not if you're interested in terms of learning history. I don't think it's probably that great in my opinion, but I think it's definitely it's most artistic. I think it's definitely the most unique in terms of in terms of uh you know because of what we're talking about right now is that it giving a sense of kind of a feeling of like never knowing what like. 
you keep you keep this feeling of oh the other shoe is gonna fall but continually like mm-hmm. you don't know when it's gonna drop but it continually you feel like something's mm-hmm. gonna happen something's gonna happen something's gonna happen but then like it just continually happens where it's like you're you're you're, you're anticipating something else and it just keeps getting worse and yeah. uh, it, it's reminiscent a little bit of like <laughs> now <laughs> i mean adam curtis said that himself uh, he there's an op-ed in the guardian that he wrote and he kind of explained you know what he was trying to do with the film and then he specifically likened it to what was well this was a this was maybe a couple months ago when liz truss was in power and the whole like economic experiment in the uk and mm-hmm. he specifically likened it to that um he was like you know it's kind of like what we're experiencing now with like inflation and um, and the pandemic and everything else just kind of constantly getting out of control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jorge, Jorge too, I just, I just wanted to say, Jorge, you, you brought, uh, I think that's a good point that um, if you want to, if you want something that's like a bit more of a historical narrative that you could, this is a historical narrative, but one that's kind of like, like a little bit more linear, even if it's a little bit fractal, right? You know, and a little bit like, he goes off on tangential, I guess I should say, and kind of ties it back together. But actually, I kind of argue that, like, this is maybe like a more accurate representation of history. Like, what I mean by that, like, you know, you can tell, like, you can tell history by like several different ways. You could like either have anecdotes where it's like, you know, from someone in their own experiences. You know, you can do some vignette like this where you kind of his other films are more like these stories that are easy to follow or. You can kind of do it where it's like this, like this kind of like you say this, like kind of building and building uncertainty, you know, where like nobody really nobody really knows what's true anymore. But everyone has an overall feeling of what's happening, like this zeitgeist, you know, and it like I don't know, I guess like like when I think about history and like all the stories, the people that we don't know, you know, the names that we do know, but the names that we don't, you know, like people that. We're just trying to survive and like, you know, like live everyday lives and weren't trying to like have these great machinations about power or uh, politics or money. Um, I don't know. I was like, OK, I guess like, yeah, man, if I like, you know, this is like akin to like historical acid trip, if anything, you know, it was just like kind of this assault on the senses. You know what I'm saying? Which that's that's kind of what I appreciated about it in terms of like storytelling. But yeah, you're right. If you want to like you're probably better off either reading a book or watching the doc, like a, a more like a. um What's the guy that makes those uh, burns? What what's what's the Ken Burns kind of st- sort of style documentary? Yeah, I, I like because I think yeah. there's a, there's sort of a danger in um, assuming that like you know oh this this is kind of like an accurate uh, presentation of history because on one hand yeah it's like you know there's mm-hmm. it's all like it's all real footage right there there's no kind of like uh, authorial voice kind of giving a slant on it but you have to think about the fact that like. Um, you know, there's a choice in like what footage a like he's working with what footage was available. Like this is all stuff compiled from um, the archives of the BBC Moscow Bureau. Um, and so, you know, this is like a problem that emerges right away. Right. Like the t- what's the title? The title is uh, Russia 1985 through uh, whatever through 1989 trauma zone. It opens with a scene set in Poland which was never even part of the USSR, right? And then there's parts that are set in like Ukraine and Turkmenistan and whatever, right? And then so there's already this kind of problem, which is, you know, like people have become more sensitive about it lately, which is like, you know, using Russia as like a general term to refer to all these other places that are not Russia, right? And kind of like 
imply that there's like a generality to like oh, like the Russian experience is the experience of all these places. Which like, you know, for, for some intents and purposes, when you're talking about the Soviet collapse, yes, there was stuff in common, other, uh, other stuff. And I think it kind of tries to do this later on in the series where, you know, it, it goes through all the different like civil wars and ethnic conflicts that broke out. But it's mm -hmm. really hard to do that when you're just sort of showing the footage you have available. A lot of like the bulk of which was, you know, from the Moscow Bureau, right? They didn't have bureaus in all these other places. So yeah, I think that's like something to kind of be aware of, like the limitations of um, the material that he's working with. For sure. Okay, I wanted to ask you about something you brought up a few minutes ago, which is why this is relevant for the BBC to be making a documentary about right now in post-Brexit Britain. You know, like obviously uh, this the the years that we're looking at happened a while ago. Uh, it's uh, not to say that it's not like an evergreen, interesting topic. But um, what the fuck is going on in Great Britain right now that uh, would make it a, a cogent comparison or, you know, cautionary tale? Yeah, I mean, I could I could quote from the man himself. I was just reading this uh, this op-ed, um, and you know, his uh, like Adam Curtis's like constant theme is that, um, and it's weird because it's not entirely a left-wing argument. He both um, kind of you know talks about the old structures of power, uh, you know, as something that was you know, like tyrannical and whatever in a way, but he also kind of weirdly nostalgic, he's weirdly nostalgic for the old structures of power where um, you kind of, you get this constant idea in his films that, well, at least the people in the old structures of power had big ideas uh, for society that they were trying to implement, whether or not they were like insane, unworkable ideas or not. And that the moment we live in now, uh, no one believes in anything anymore. Even the people in power uh, don't actually have any kind of vision uh, of a society that they're trying to build. Um, so I think that's kind of, I think for him, this, uh, you know, we are in one of those moments now and this moment in the U S in, in Soviet and Russian history kind of parallels that um, he goes into it a little more deeply. He talks about how, uh, both um, the sort of, and you know, like uh, the UK was, uh, had this new um, prime minister who only lasted, what, like two weeks uh, now, uh, Liz Truss. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. The right. ladies call me Liz Truss because I give them a weak pound to leave. <laughs> Bars. That was a little meme going around that I got a chuckle yeah. out of. And um, so I guess she came in with this like whole plan and budget that was like neoliberalism on steroids, like deregulate everything, uh, lower taxes. Right. And uh, it was a disaster even like by capitalist standards. Right. Uh, it just caused like the pound to collapse and it, uh, like the economy didn't actually the market didn't actually react positively to that. Um, and. Wasn't it like Reaganomics without right. the cuts in spending? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that didn't yeah, go. That, that didn't go so well. Um, but um, what Curtis kind of does is he he sort of draws a link between that and he actually says there the the original like Soviet system and this kind of like 
neoliberal economics uh, had something in common, which was like this extreme form of technocracy, which is like believing that um, you can subordinate politics like people and mass politics to like a kind of uh, for to like a formula where you just have the mathematical inputs and outputs and uh, all of society can be organized around that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the that's sort of the overarching theme that he's obsessed with, like the the grand dream of technocracy and the like disastrous failure of it. Yeah, I, I think, and that's a, that's a theme that, that runs through a lot of his work. Um, I, I, I personally have a like I, 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 while going into the thing, I mentioned this to all of you, but in my opinion, I think Adam Curtis in this way is kind of a little bit of a one-trick pony, where it's like he, where I, I don't necessarily, like I, I think that that analysis is correct in part in terms of uh, whether applying it to a multitude of power structures, including the Soviet Union. But I also think that that, I, I also think there are limitations to that because I think he tried, tried it a little bit with like the one that came out before this one to like say like the cultural revolution and in terms of like, and it's like, well, the reason that that kind of wasn't the, you know, hot take wasn't the best thing ever uh, was uh, I think maybe for different reasons. And I think here, also, so, and we could, we could kind of talk about it in a, in a little bit, but it, in terms of like, I think that, how I find his, his his politics, I think, are a bit limiting. But I still find his uh, his, his technical uh, ability as a filmmaker, you know, part none. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still I've. You guys have given me a lot to chew on so far. I think it, it's interesting that he seems so. Uh, that, that he seems to think that people in power have no vision now and no overarching. Uh, you know, demanding thing that they believe in because technocracy seems like a vision of sorts to me, albeit like a hollowed out one, right? Like you just believe in the power of, you know, expertise or these sort of mechanized, these, the magic of the market to like correct itself, which we know doesn't work <laughs> and things of that nature. So like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it, uh, Maybe the moral of the story is that like uh, vision, it doesn't matter. I don't know, <laughs> like because people with a vision, people people without a vision, I don't know. Maybe we just need to be. Well, the Soviets thought they were doing science, right, with historical materialism. We think we're doing science with that, but maybe the moral of the story is you need to have like that human element driving it. You can't just input everyone's needs into a computer and expect it to sort them out. Or maybe you can. They just haven't gotten it right yet. I don't know. Well, what do you guys think? Well, to be fair, I think a lot of the Soviet stuff that was that they didn't uh, keep up with com technological advances with computers. But that, 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 that's kind no, of... No, I, I think it's very relevant, actually, because you, you see that was one of the things that really like, struck me in the first couple, in, the, in like parts one and two, when it's still the Soviet Union and you're show, they're showing. And it's just like, it's like slapping your forehead insane when he, they take you through the single suite of offices and they're proudly announcing that this is where all the planning for our vast country happens. All the information from all our industries comes in here and you're like, 
holy shit no wonder it fell <laughs> like and and then you know he's the offices are like half empty and he opens one to like show how people are proudly at work and it, it's it, there's no one in it and he like very quickly recovers he's like oh they must be at a meeting you know that's how hardworking all our workers are um, <laughs> yeah and then they like triumphantly announce that they're introducing mm. computers like that they're just introducing computers to the process in like what 1990 or something um so yeah. yeah that's i think that's actually very relevant yeah f- fair enough I, I was more hedging hedging my, my my statement because i'm familiar of like say like i know that for some reason uh, i think under brezhnev there was no interest in terms of like inter- like like oh no we're not gonna do the internet which is looking back uh just a world historical catastrophe of not doing that of like not we're not we're not going to bother with the internet because that bourgeois right <laughs> and like you know it's not going to go anywhere it's not like everyone's going to use it or anything yeah I think there I think <laughs> there was an article in the pan I think there was an article in Wired a couple of years ago it was talking about how the Soviets almost invented the internet like yeah like yeah. at some point in the in maybe like the seventies or early eighties but yeah there was all this like. Right. There were some early experiments in like the research institutes, I think, uh, in like Kiev and Moscow, and they basically just couldn't get like the buy-in from the party higher officials to like keep supporting them. Um, Because they knew that the internet is bad, and we would have an unhealthy culture of Twitter. You know, in 2023, they could see the future uh, using the power of historical materialism. If only we'd listened. Should we we see what's up with Aaron? He keeps getting kicked off. Aaron said he's probably going to bow out because he said the Internet is just not going to. Oh, no. That's Uh, so sad. All right. Well, speaking of speaking of bad internet and bad technology, <laughs> yeah. Well, don't forget we're living in a collapsing society too, here, folks. Right. So we're should we just continue, just the three of us? Can I read a quote? Sure. From the from the film that I thought was good. Uh, yes, I can. So this Russian journalist at one point says to the BBC journalist. Uh, quote, you and Britain are Moscow in about 1988. Everyone knows the system isn't working. Everyone knows that the managers are completely eluding it. They know that you know that they know, but no one has any concept of a possible alternative. The only difference is you've already tried democracy. You've got nothing else left. And I'm like, man, that is so bleak and also so true. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, uh, so I don't know about like, I'm still stuck on like, is this an accurate representation of history? Because one of the things that I found really frustrating was like, okay, so, you know, you're going to remove the narrator and not do the whole Adam Curtis thing. Fine. But then like, then you're relying entirely on the captions uh, to give any kind of like information or context. And I thought like, I don't know, I found the captions not very well written and kind of very like sort of ad hoc and really just like minimal right and they're not really like the captions are there they're there you're expecting them to do all the work i didn't think they did a good job of orienting like like if i didn't know as much as i do about the region i think i would feel pretty lost um like again like they show poland they don't explain that poland is not in the ussr and actually had a very very different um like post-communist development history um right 
and then whenever you know whenever they yeah it'll be like yeah clip 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 and then oh and by the way uh there was a civil and then suddenly there was a civil war in this place that has never been mentioned before and doesn't get mentioned again um and like oh yeah oh oh, yeah and then there was an ethnic conflict going on in tajikistan uh moving on um you know so uh yeah i just uh I, i don't know like I, and I know that's not the, I know it's not trying to be a kind of, um, you know, overarching, we're going to explain the historical background of uh, all these places and what's happening there. But it still feels kind of cheap. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself Googling a lot of stuff while I was watching it. And eventually I just gave up because I was like, I'm never going to finish maybe this. Maybe that's the point. Maybe you're supposed to be like, pausing it and googling it as as you go i don't know yeah i i i think i really agree with that um alex and, and you know um there's like a point i mean this happens multiple times throughout the series but there's like a point with like say it's like oh like there was like this coup where like they you know were members of the communist party like uh you know uh hid like uh hid uh what's his fucking name gorbachev and you know it's like Oh, but it just says like there was a coup, but doesn't even explain what, why. Why was there a coup? And it's like, or doesn't explain like, like you know, uh, I, no. And it's like some. It's great that there's footage about it, but it's also it's like you know, no one talks about the fact that the reason they did it was because they're like, no, we need we want to just hardliners that are trying to keep the Soviet Union going, which you know is its own kind of other conversation, right? Right. But also, but also, it, it, I find it. You know, I, I think ultimately there is like this political element because like there's so much uh, because like on the one hand, there are the idea of like, oh, well, this is close to more accurate history because so much like ordinary people and, you know, there's no one's acting. It's just like live footage and what have you. So in one sense, that's true. But on the other hand, uh, you know, this is still kind of, you know, BBC footage. Right. So who are they going to film? Right. Who are they going to record? Exactly. Who are, yeah. who, are, who are like the pro-democracy activists who are like have an issue with the Soviet Union. Now, and the thing is, like, you do kind of see a glimpse of, of ordinary people who didn't have who, who like, you know, who may have thought they knew everyone obviously saw there were problems that were happening and there were issues going on. But then there were those who, you know, were, didn't say wanted the end of socialism. Like there was like the I really like that clip of like when they introduced like the Petroska, I think is how you say it. Yeah. Like a Perestroika. Um, where it's like they where Gorbachev introduces like some capitalist elements and then there was like that lady that's like because like there's like these co-ops that uh, are selling in the marketplace and this lady like this older lady that show, that's just there and just like all of you just this is, this is terrible stop doing this stop like and, and it starts, starts yelling how like no all of you are just selling like the same thing but for more this is bad <laughs> and it's like and and it just, it just starts explaining, like, no, what you're doing is you're basically creating primitive accumulation. Like, you're basically creating a surplus when there doesn't have to be one. And, right. and it, I was and I was really struck by because this is just an ordinary person just yeah. saying this. And it's like, well, there was a, like, there was also the guy. I think I, I think in the same kind of scene that you're talking about, there there was right after her. There was a guy who's kind of really just. Uh, sort of smirking and kind of skeptical about the yeah. whole thing. He's like, yeah, let them, let them try this. This is, it's not going to work. Nothing like, you know, and he was, I was kind of impressed. Oh, he mentions yeah. Lenin's uh, NEP. He's like, yeah, even Lenin's NEP only lasted a few years. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess he was right, but yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, on the one hand, 
I think the closest that it came to like explaining anything was in kind of tracing like the economic part of the collapse. Right. And you know, it was, the, the captions do like sort of try to explain. Yeah, like there were these cooperatives, and then they speculated in like this non-cash that was supposed to be just used for settling accounts between different state uh, industries. But it's all like very kind of I don't know. It's it's still very haphazard. Uh, you're also kind of, and I mean, I think this goes to your point. This this might get to the sort of uh, different political tendencies that you and me come from, but. You know, when it's when the show starts, the Soviet Union's already in crisis, right? It's right. not like everything's going great, and then they try to they decide to introduce capitalism, and then it all starts falling apart. Um, like, and that's kind of, I guess, the tragedy of it. Like, there's the, it it starts out in crisis, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse. And every attempt to try to do something is both like too late and also making it worse again. Um, yeah. And I think there's only yeah. I think there's only this is where I was I kind of miss uh, the Adam Curtis narration because there's only so much and I mean I literally wrote down the captions and they get so repetitive because you just run out of ways to say like and then the economy completely collapsed but then like five minutes later and like but now it was completely absurd and and then like you know five minutes later it's, but it, but now it was utterly corrupt uh, and it's like okay no we we already got there right. But yeah, there's always a new bottom to discover. Yeah. I mean, I I think it does a good job showing what happened when the Soviet Union collapsed. And then, you know, any uh, nascent attempt at liberal democracy also collapsed immediately. But maybe it doesn't show why as much as... I would like to know, like the, the shock therapy guy, Gaidar, who, you know, gets a post in the government to basically do uh, neoliberalism on Russia. What an evil he motherfucker. It, hmm? What an evil motherfucker. Like, it's just like, yeah. he, like he had like a certain He's, smirk continually. It's just like, no, I know this is like going to kill people. He doesn't give a fuck. Well, anything, uh, let's just quote, uh, anything that is economically efficient is morally right. justified. Yeah. And he fucking Ayn Rand reading ass motherfucker. And he also says another thing where he basically he really does view it as like this is overdetermined. This is a force of nature. And he compares it to the collapse of the British Empire. Like there's nothing that anyone can do about it. Um, But then if there's nothing anyone can do, right. why is he doing actively making policy right. and changing shit around? Like there obviously is something he can do, but it is, uh, it is interesting to see like the combination because I think it, I think it's true. Like, I think a lot of this was overdetermined by these larger macroeconomic factors. Uh, and at the same time, you know, these these bureaucrats, these people in charge had the choice of uh, what they were going to do right. during that time. So, like, I don't know how how much of it do you all think was uh, was overdetermined and how much did the policies just make things worse? Because it does seem like they tried a lot of different things and nothing helped at all. Yeah, I think this is this is super interesting because uh, I just got this. It was is Gaidar a historical materialist? Like, because he sort of is saying, yeah, these are all just larger forces and it's inevitable. But I, I think that's actually like really super interesting the way that um, people in power 
kind of, uh, I guess this is like political theology or something, the way that people in power both um, absolve themselves of responsibility and take credit, right? Because when a politician says like, you know, this is inevitable, but also I'm doing things uh, to help that inevitability, right? It's sort of positioning yourself as like, uh, you know, there are, it's like there are the gods and this is the god's will and I'm just, I'm a servant of the god's will. Um, essentially, which is kind of what Gaidar was doing in relation to like free market capitalism. Cause it's not like on the one hand, it's like, yeah, this would happen even without me, but, uh, I'm going to make sure it happens the way it was going to happen anyway. Um, yeah. And, I, and, you know, socialists do that too, right? A certain, certain brands of socialists like also have, you know, used that kind of like dual, um, imaginary. Um, but yeah. 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 I For think, sure. I, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, my my take is just that the collapse of the Soviet Union was over was overdetermined because it collapsed, right? It's like it's almost like a tautological thing because right. we live in this reality, right? So it's like clearly there was nothing that could be done to prevent it because if, if it, there was, it would have been prevented. Um, but on on the other hand, though, so th- I think there's like on the one hand, I think that like I'm gonna say two things about the about this that. Adam Kurtz did a really good job on that helped explain something about like the collapse, I think, but also did a really poor job with something, uh, with another undercurrent, which is like the first thing it's like, I think there's a good job of like giving a sense of people's personalities and like a sense of like who they were, uh, as figures, particularly like, uh, two particularly Gorbachev and, uh, um, who's the Russian president, uh, uh, Yeltsin. Yeltsin, like, uh, where in a sense of like Gorbachev, I just was so struck by I just complete weakling in terms of like like really just like was not the guy for the job in terms of like again a sense of like I and I think he meant well I I'm not I'm not someone gonna uh, uh, criticize him as much as the others have in the past but I think it's just like you know given a sense it seemed like he was just out of his element in many ways you could tell and. Uh, which goes to ties to the thing with like Yeltsin. It's like Yeltsin, I viewed him as like just totally like a nihilist, like just did not believe anything. It's like, we're, you know, I remember I texted Jamie about like there's a point where Yeltsin's talking about, oh, like Yeltsin's like cynically saying that all the bureaucrats don't believe in anything and they're all corrupt. And it's like, well, I'm sure they were corrupt, but I don't know if all of them didn't believe anything. I, I, I really am skeptical of that claim. But the thing is, like, Yeltsin says that because he himself is a bureaucrat, because, and he doesn't believe in anything. So he's like, well, I can say this because I know I don't. So it doesn't fucking matter. So, and, and people, I'm sure plenty of people, and clearly that was the case, felt that way, that people didn't believe in anything and were just corrupt. So I, I think it's like that element. But on the other hand, um, which is kind of what I'm getting to, is like, well, I think, and, Part of what was said earlier with like BBC and like you know Adam Curtis's politics, I think is like ultimately there is this you know liberal analysis, my my opinion, because uh, I, I think it, do, it later on in the documentary it explains how the Communist Party almost won the elections in uh, and got back to power, and you know I think I think in that last episode they talk about that and actually did a good job of explaining why is it that the oligarchs all, all like, basically did like organize themselves as a class to prevent that from happening. But if you watch the documentary and you didn't know anything about the history, you'd be like, wait, wait a minute. Wait, what the fuck? Why, why are they coming back? Like you'd think that 
everybody hated them. So why would they be coming back? So I think I think in that way also it doesn't really it doesn't really work because like if if you're presenting continually like everyone doesn't like the Communist Party of of Russia or at that time Soviet Union and then suddenly they almost won the election that doesn't really compute especially given the short time frame. Yeah, but then again, I mean, yeah, I think- lo- look at our look at our own systems where. Everyone basically hates both parties, but one of them yeah. <laughs> eventually always wins, right? Um, and I think this... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just ping pongs back and forth because, like, shit is bad when the Democrats are in charge. People vote for Republicans. Shit is bad when Republicans are in charge. People vote for the Democrats. It's almost like it doesn't fucking matter. And you get a lot of nihilism from the regular people that they talk to. Yeah, I think... And I think the, that sort of, like... The post-Soviet nihilism that really sets in, um, like that's something that's very much, I think that's very important for kind of understanding a lot of current events like that. Uh, There is a sense in which like people in Russia just like stopped believing in anything. And not only that, but it's, it's a cynicism and it's like an actively like kind of hostile cynicism because uh, they were so kind of uh, traumatized, I guess, to come back to the, title of the thing by uh people with uh people actually asking them to believe in something and then that belief being completely betrayed that um there's a sort of like weird stockholm syndrome of like and 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 communism and democracy right yeah exactly and it's like there's a weird stockholm syndrome that set in of like pretty much everyone in russia knows that like you know the, the place is corrupt. There's oligarchs like, uh, you know, that they're the oligarchs robbing the country blind. They're in league with the state. But there is an active hostility to like anyone who tries to sort of suggest that, OK, maybe it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, right. Like maybe something can be better. And it's like, oh, no, we've heard this shit before. Um, yeah. And yeah. But because um, there's that one. uh yeah, I think they're they're uh, when like one of the gangsters is running for parliament and he's like handing out leaflets right. and the, the voters are talking and and the, the one like uh, mother says like yeah better bandits like him than the bandits who sent our sons to Chechnya right so it's already there in the nineties like this deep deep cynicism um, yeah I think to talk about uh, talk about Yeltsin and yeah like the Yeltsin and Iolist. I think the most I think the most valuable thing to me um, in watching this and the kind of the most important narrative, I think, there that, again, like it, it goes by too quickly. But you see the way that Yeltsin overthrows Gorbachev without actually overthrowing him. Right. Right. Because, right. Uh, you know, Gorbachev is still sort of uh, well-meaningly trying to push through these reforms, trying to keep the Soviet Union and the Communist Party uh, in power while like reforming it and making it more open and democratic. Uh, he gets, uh, uh, you know, an attempted coup by these hardline generals who just want like the old, uh, you know, top down Soviet system. So it's like, you know, they don't want all these experiments of democracy. They just want to go back. Uh, so they, you know, they they attempt a coup. Uh, Yeltsin, who is at this point like this is a newly created post, uh, like the president of the Russian Federation of the Russian Soviet Federal Republic. Um which, you know, is still part of the Soviet Union. And he sort of raises himself as the hero of democracy, as uh, standing against these reactionary coup leaders who are trying to drag our country back into the past. And, you know, he delivers his speech from the top of the tank. 
and he rescues Gorbachev, right? He rally he he rallies the popular resistance to the coup, and eventually the military does, ends up not supporting the coup, and Gorbachev is freed and returned to power. But the whole thing is that Yeltsin only does that so that he can then proceed to sideline Gorbachev, and um, the way that he does it Pretty is tricky. the way that he does it is super brilliant because instead of like. Uh, trying to take Gorbachev's place as the leader of the Soviet Union, he basically keeps strengthening the post of president of the Russian Federation mm-hmm. until, uh, and this is like, this is so important now because basically he, there's all these other independence movements going on in the republics in Ukraine, in the Baltic states. Some of the Baltics have already like actually gotten their independence from the Soviet Union. And he, fucking mimics that and says, you know, uh, Russia also needs its independence from the Soviet Union. Right? Just think about that for a second. And it's it's a brilliant move, and it works, because he he, then he just gets together with the leaders of Ukraine and Belarus and secretly signs his protocol, like, yeah, we're all seceding from the Soviet Union. So, and as uh, one of the great lines in the doc is, uh, Gorbachev is left as president of nothing. Um... And, you know, what that does is not only it's not just a convenient power grab for Yeltsin. uh, What it does is really sow the seeds of Russian nationalism that Mm -hmm. uh, you see now, like Putin's whole thing is like founded upon Um, because a it allows for any kind of, you know, and maybe this is a liberal criticism, but it, it it allows Russia, Russian society to completely skip any kind of like reckoning with uh the soviet past or you know any sort of like historical responsibility for uh you know like for soviet you know expansion and things like that it's just like uh, it's it's sort of like yeah no we were just another uh republic that was oppressed by the soviet government um by the communist party and russia is not the soviet union right it wasn't me who did that it was bad jamie totally different yeah. person yeah and i mean also it raises the question of well if russians weren't the ones in charge of the soviet union who were uh wink wink right and then you see the parades of various like nationalists and uh the, like the rise of like different kinds of like nazis and conspiracy theorists um and you know that's still something that you hear in Putin's speeches like he he talks about soviet leaders um, when they, you know, allowed the republics all these all this independence, and they, in his words, created Ukraine, and he always says they, right. right? Not not we, not Russia, but you know those those other people who were in charge of the Soviet Union. Um, it, it, it's 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 Jews. It's it's it's, it's Jews. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, they mean Jews. Um, yeah, and then you, you see like Yeltsin come to power in this like parade uh, of Russian flags. Uh, of like the, the tricolor Russian flag, and you know, at the time, it's seen as this like triumph uh, of democracy, right? But now, looking back at it in 2022, what do we see there? Right? It's like that's actually where all this, like, the moment that all this stuff kind of takes root. Yeah, it is crazy to me how clear it is in this that Putin was literally just some guy, right? Like they just picked some fucking mid-level bureaucrat who they thought they could control and made him into this strong man and it worked. And, uh, 
Where am I going with this? Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Uh, I, I think it's also like a nice materialist account of how the liberal democracy failed, right? Like we see almost this like weirdly uh, racialized or ethnic uh, stereotyping of the Slavs by Americans today where they're like, well, you know, the Slavs are cold and brutal people. Like, they're just not cut out for democracy. But, like, no, there was actually a very distinct set of circumstances, material circumstances even, in history that uh, made things go that way and that made people just kind of fucking give up. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think this whole, like, Western stereotyping of Russians, I, th I think that's kind of the danger of presenting of the format that he chose like without any narration yeah. where you just because honestly like okay uh presenting a series of like extreme and shocking and traumatic and like you know it, it, it does sort of the overall effect even if it's not what he means it does kind of play to the stereotype oh yeah like russia is just this crazy bleak and brutal place where senseless things just happen all the time and you know it's it, this isn't anything we didn't get, already get from like if you grew up in the 2000s and we're on the internet, you know, like uh, all the all the clips of like crazy Russia, the dash cam videos and uh, stuff from like gaming chat rooms and whatever. You know, like this is already we kind of already knew that. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. What's interesting, too, about uh, I mean, like you're kind of talking about it like, you know, say, for instance, like when you were I, I found I found in some ways, quite a lot of disappointment with the documentary, frankly, because like a good example is like how he talks about Ukraine, right? It's like he kind of glosses over a lot in terms of like I, I don't I wouldn't say like I'm I'm some expert by no means, but even just the way to talking about like oh like you know there were like oligarchs in the east and then there were like national movements in the west and it's like well I mean there's a lot more than just that, but also like if you're gonna talk about it, you have to expand on it, right? Because like it, it, it's it's like it, kind of to your point earlier, it's like, oh, something's happening in Chechnya, something happened in Turkmenistan, something's happening in Afghanistan. It's like, well, like, this is very clear, like, somebody who who either was somebody, Curtis, uh, they didn't really have a plan in terms of, like, talking about it or just, like, my take, honestly, I feel like he just doesn't know enough. And it's just, like, kind of go in and it's like, like, artists do, we're just like, I'm just going to give my depiction of it without even, like, knowing too much mm. about the actual history and it's like well like there's a lot going on and it's like and, and there's a reason why there is no comprehensive uh uh like really really we don't have like a like a really well done history of the fall of the soviet union quite yet because like it's there's so much of the world in terms of culture and and societies in terms of like that that's that happened and it's like we're still in the wake of that so that's i, I and i think like I don't blame him entirely either, but it's just like, I think, you know, particularly with like, when kind of moving into wondering, well, what does that have to do with now? I feel like, well, I don't know if that, if you can really draw too much from it because of the fact that it's just like, it seems all, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, uh, the parallels to now are certainly still there. Uh, and like, Look, if they wanted to do a really comprehensive history of the fall of the Soviet Union, it would have to be like 10 times as long 
as this was. Uh, and, you know, maybe people can Google some things, pause it, fill in some of the blanks for themselves. I did. It's at least good to have these markers to say, oh, yeah, this shit happened here. This shit happened here. Um, but I also wanted to talk about the U.S. role in all of this because, you know, we see we see some presidents on screen in this and you're always like, oh, wow, look, that's George Bush. Oh, it's it's fucking Bill Clinton. And like. I want to know like what you guys think uh, is, is the depiction of the U S role in this collapse uh, fair and accurate. I feel like to the degree that it's portrayed, it is like, you know, Yeltsin literally bombed parliament to take their power away. And uh, you know, Bill Clinton rolls through and he's like, like he literally goes right past the bombed parliament and he's like, uh, everything looks, looks good to me. Good job, y'all. Very democratic, nice democracy. Great. So like, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I, I, uh, great Clinton impression, by the way. Um, oh, oh, thank yeah. you. Um, no, and I, I think, like, if anything, Curtis probably understates it because, uh, I mean, this is a BBC production, right? So there's a lot more footage of, like, but it's sort of the same thing, you know, the the profiteering kind of like uh, British uh, auctioneers who are like just like basically auctioning off, uh, you know, luxury items. And they're like, and they're talking about how, yeah, you know, there's a lot of difficulty uh, here, but but there there is a lot of money flowing around uh, regardless. And it's uh, yeah. So definitely like the Western vultures are there. It's like understated, if anything, in the. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love the fucking fashion people that oh, they get, yeah. the Russian Vogue people. That's so cool. And that one guy's like, I think communism fell because it's just so ugly. <laughs> I'm like, uh, fashion people never change. Stay gold. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think I agree with, um, with what Alex mentioned. I think there's an understatement, but frankly, I think any kind of role that the U.S. had, I think by the time it was collapsing... Um, and aside from like the elections that they show, it was like with Yeltsin, um, like the U.S. wasn't as involved. Like the only thing it's like, I think the more important aspect that was understated was like there. It's like they kind of just there's like a throwaway line of like, oh yeah, American economists were involved with shock therapy, but it's like okay, but that's like the whole thing in terms of like the the defining element of like post-Soviet Union. Yeah. And that, that was Gaidar's whole team, right? It was like right. he was both influenced by and literally had American economists advising him. But like any, any, any kind of like larger thing of like, say, something I would bring up in terms of like U.S. involvement, that's like a much larger uh, long-term thing that preceded the, the events depicted in, in, in this documentary. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, yeah. And actually about that, like I, I, it, there was like a weird omission because um, – I mean, the U.S. basically doesn't figure into uh, they don't really talk about the Soviet Union's foreign policy, except for like the invasion of Afghanistan uh, in like the right. first couple of parts. Um, and there is this kind of like popular narrative that, uh, you know, the U.S. made the Soviet Union fall or they like, you know, that uh, it was this victory for the U.S. and that they specifically like broke it up. But, um, you know, I think that sort and this is like a common thing of my bone to pick with like Marcus Leninist that there's this sort of like simplistic idea of how capital works and that capital kind of wants one thing uh, and it ignores like the kind of fundamental like 
that capital isn't a conscious process and it's a global process of internal contradictions. So at the same time that yes, like global capital in a way saw, you know, a communist state, even if it was barely communist by that time as a threat, at the same time, a lot of global capital was very much willing to work with uh, and invest in uh, the USSR, even during the Stalin years and more. But, um, and, you know, when you have, uh, there's part of global capital wants, of course, wants like things to fragment and to have investment opportunities. Other parts of global capital want stability and want uh, more managed ways to kind of extract surplus value. So uh, when during the, those years, actually, George Bush was uh, flying, making trips to the USSR, uh, trying to get the leaders of the different republics to sort of cool it and uh, see if they can keep it together, because there was a lot of worry that, you know, what was going to happen to all the nuclear weapons uh, right. and that it was going to be there was going to be a lot of chaos. There was going to be civil wars. And, you know, the U.S. actually didn't want that because, again, uh Capital wants war, but it also wants stability. It it wants both things. Um, yeah, I mean, and also uh, something we've talked about on this show, uh, particularly when we, we talk about like say theory and other another element is uh, uh you know, it's, it's the history of society is the history of class struggle. But in, with, but the thing is, like within class, there is our struggles internally as well. Where you know, I think a good example we talked about this in a previous episode last year when we talked about Silicon Valley, where I'd argue that uh, basically crypto uh, is really just this kind of front of Silicon Valley. That, that mem- those members of of the ruling class, that faction, wanting to try to uh, you know do a coup of the you know true ruling class of the United States, which is like the the East Coast, you know, finance capital. Uh, you know, oligarchy that 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 exists, and it's like Silicon Valley is try, is kind of rising, and they're like, okay, they just need the last push to just become like, no, now now we're the true ruling class of of the American economy, where it's like right now they just have a lot of valuation, but they don't have the the true political power that say Wall Street does, and and so I think I th- I think that analysis, you know, I th- I, I uh, uh, ultimately agree with it in the sense that. Uh, yeah, it it's not so straightforward to say that there was total investment of like a total. Uh, you know, I think if anything, they wanted to get rid of uh, socialism in the Soviet Union and then eventually get rid of it, but they didn't want it to get rid get get all of it to disappear all at once in the way that it did. And I because because of what you just brought up, I, I, right. I mean, it it's clear that let's be clear uh, uh, that. Capitalists ultimately were against, say, any kind of socialist state, and they are to this day. But I think to what, how quickly that happens is like a definitely another thing altogether. Mm. Right. Well, they wanted it to become a Western style liberal democracy, right? right? And they, mm. you know, continued to pretend that that was what was happening. But see, like, the, the, so, I like, I mean, like it's clear that capitalists aren't even committed to democracy, right? Because they were willing to support Yeltsin when he shelled parliament, right? They were, they were actually quite willing to um, support, you know, Putin and his rise to power. Like they literally, I think the the last episode really talks about how like, you know, they they got Western PR firms and modeled Putin's first presidential campaign on Tony Blair. Um, And yeah, it's only very late in the game that the, 
sort of international, whatever can be called, like the Western capitalist class starts turning against Putin. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think that's that's not news to any of us, right? Like, um, I mean, they're not invested in democracy yeah. in this country anyway, so it's like... Yeah, like, it makes you wonder, like, what's... Maybe we don't really have democracy either. Like, really, what's the difference between... Like, we've talked so much between the three of us about... <laughs> how uh what we the system that we have so-called western liberal democracy or whatever isn't actually that democratic uh and yeah i guess there are matters of degree here but at the same time maybe america should get off its high horse when it comes <laughs> to uh judging strongman putin over there you know I mean, sure, but you know, there's there's a very clear, like, important difference. Like, uh, one that we're having this podcast and we're not, like, uh, you know, we're not in jail right now, um, which not yeah, that good. Um, maybe I maybe give it a few years. I don't know, but um, I, I, yeah. Well, one th other thing I want to bring up is like, uh, yeah, part of the other uh, kind of the danger of like presenting this sort of. Uh, you know, narrative of like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just total chaos and, uh, just one bleak thing after another. Um, and it, there is this kind of like, it sort of plays into, um, cause yeah, obviously the time period was, uh, traumatic for, I mean, Russia and a lot of the other former republics, like, you know, Ukraine was no better off. Um, one thing I remember is, uh, you know, the, our first few years here when we came here and I mean, we had like, nothing like my mom was cleaning houses we were living like with my grandparents in like a splitting sharing like a two-bedroom apartment with like four people um and even then it was like we were scraping together like 50 dollars to send uh to like friends and relatives back in ukraine during the 90s because during the 90s that was literally like right a matter of life and death um right. for them um so yeah like you know and then but there is this common narrative, uh, I think, both in the West and definitely within Russia itself and promoted by the regime, which is like, oh, in the 90s, you had a pro-Western capitalist Yeltsin who allowed all this chaos uh, and all this looting to happen. And then you have uh, Big Daddy Putin who, you know, uh, put the oligarchs uh, on, on a leash and restored order. And now... Uh, life is so much better and and it's this has kind of been a lot of the basis of putin's power which is like yeah like maybe oh like we know he's corrupt and we know he's authoritarian and our like civil liberties are slowly being eroded but do we want to go back to that time of that terrible time of the 90s and right. it kind of uh yeah it's sort of built up as uh like uh, like russian political commentators have talked about this and it's kind of even been like satirizing pop culture there was a there was a fun like um there's this russian rapper Manyetichka, and she made uh she made a video of the in the style of these like bleak uh 90s uh russian gangster films and the lyrics are like just uh, the song is called 90s and the lyrics are just like an increasingly hyperbolic uh like this idea of like uh, a person who is like you know, supports the current Russian state and is remembering how bad the nineties were. And it just gets, gets ridiculous, increasingly more ridiculous. Like, yeah, everybody was running around naked and, uh, there was no electricity anywhere and people were killing each other over uh, blue jeans and Coca-Cola. So th there is like this kind of danger of, uh, 
that the like the specter of the 90s in Russia itself right. has been built up into this kind of all-encompassing like uh, we'll we'll accept anything as long as we don't have to go back to that. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's really great that you brought that up. I mean, like that that no, the reason I pointed earlier about like say like you know the the Communist Party about how you know it almost won in a documentary. If people if folks watch it, like uh, there's I I think it's really uh I I remember like really like laughing because I'm like yeah of course that would, like they 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 like where where the, all the oligarchs were freaking out that it seemed like the Communist Party was gonna gain power again in the in the elections and. They said we were worried because they knew that if they got into power, they likely would either be sent to jail or get killed. And it's like, yeah, that's probably what would happen. And um, the thing is, like, uh, and you know, I, I think, you know, even with like we talked about it earlier, it's like, say, like, I, I, I do want to, like, say, this perspective in a sense that I think that even even with like the recent past of it, like, not being well run, I still think that given how poorly it was. After that, they're like, well, like there's like this like a woman that's like in a documentary. It's like you know things were bad, but now it's like not even like it's like way worse. And it's like and I feel and I I do kind of wonder in a sense of like uh, with like say Putin being in in, in power, uh, him him like you know you're totally right that that's like a huge huge like that's the uh, arguably like the primary reason why he's in power. Or some people just default to 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 him being there because of like you know, basically controlled, uh, you know, basically stabilized things. But I do kind of wonder, it's like, well, the fact of the matter is like somebody was going to do that, but the, what, the fact of the matter it just happened to have been Putin. It's like, so I wonder if like, say, like the alternate history of like, well, what if like, say the Communist Party had gone to power and, you know, they would stop, basically stop the bleeding. And it's like, and, and then they now get the credit because everything stopped being freefall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with that. Like, yeah, if it weren't Putin, it would have been someone else. I, I think the other thing is like, uh, I don't really see as much of a periodization. I think that's like kind of the, the narrative. That's like, to me, like Putin right, was right. a continuation of Yeltsin. And that's the, like earlier when I was talking about kind of the, how Yeltsin ro rose to power on the back of this wave of Russian nationalism that he created, you know, like Putin just very smoothly took that over. Um, and again, yeah, yeah, Yeltsin wasn't uh, Yeltsin wasn't democratic either. He was he was like, what what is a strong man if not someone who bombs the parliament? Um, yeah. So so yeah, like the I, I and I mean I think you know to to a lesser extent you can argue that in fact Yeltsin or uh, Yeltsin pitched himself as basically continuing uh you know the reforms that Gorbachev started and that Gorbachev was like too weak to uh continue pushing through right um so like this this stuff you know it's like this stuff all is just builds on each other um it's also like political like uh you know self self branding as you mentioned i mean cuz like uh yeah like you said like i i definitely agree at least partially in terms of like uh uh, definitely, I think mostly uh, in terms of like Putin being an extension of Yeltsin. But in many ways, I think like I remember like there was like this like I think this liberal writer in the Guardian. I don't remember who it was, but this is an article I remember reading like in 2017 of like this idea of like five Putins of like there's like five conceptions that exist out there of like you know, Putin is like you know uh, you know this spy uh, chief of like really 
brilliantly using uh, spy uh, espionage or you know Putin the genius Putin the, the the thug Putin the mafia person and Putin like the the uh, oligarch and it's like and it's like I kind of kind of remember thinking and thinking about now and like you know it was like this documentary but also the past few years it's kind of like well he's kind of all of them if you think about it because like it's people people kind of minimize it like oh he's just like a gangster like well the thing is like people who are in charge of mafias tend to be very smart also I think I think also that People are using that to kind of like add like a blue collar aspect of like affect and like methodology and also kind of like undergroundness to kind of like because, you know, clearly flouting, flouting many kind of international law in terms of like the way say the, the, the Wagner group operates. If people who don't know, it's basically his personal bodyguard. Um, that's like acts like as a military arm. So clearly, you know, flouting international law, you know, of course, not, and not, not like any, not suggesting like the U S doesn't, but point is like it that's very much a reality but so but the thing is like on the other hand it's like in many ways he he is much smarter than a lot of people who would be in a, in a similar position with those sim, similar politics because he understands what his whole appeal is like you do have to keep the oligarchs on a leash right yeah i mean you know he contains multitudes i suppose <laughs> um, yeah so what what do we do with all of this because I was left feeling kind of bleak and depressed after watching all of these episodes. After watching seven hours uh, of Soviet collapse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, they tried to do communism. It didn't even work. It didn't even come close to working. Uh, they tried to do democracy and that also failed. They tried to do, you know, capitalist democracy, let's call it. That failed. Uh, so, like, what the fuck is left? Like, what do you think we're supposed to do with the information and the lessons in this film? Uh, like, I think perhaps some people would take it as a cautionary tale about trying to do communism. I don't think that's what it's meant to be. But uh, I like, oh, don't do communism. Don't try to do communism because uh, you might fail and then things will be really bad again at the end of it. Like, that's not really a good reason. But I do think it, it points to a sort of exhaustion of the historical options and maybe the fact that a new approach, a completely new approach is needed if we're ever going to unfuck the world. Yeah. Um, I mean... I don't think there's any answer like as to what we yeah. we can do. Like, a we can't do anything. What Russians can do, I'm also not really sure. Because I mean, you know, I tend towards like the grand scale historical materialism of like, honestly, like not of like none of this. This is more to do with like what Russia is than with like yeah what kind of uh, government system they've chosen to have and like. Yeah, I mean, in a way, like, like there, there, it's a weird, it's a weird, like, geographical space. It's you know, historically, like, the main kind of centers of trade and economic civilization were, like, you know, either the Atlantic and Europe, uh, you know, the Indian subcontinent uh, first for a while, China, obviously, on the Pacific coast, but you know, this vast in between space that was historically just like overrun by various nomadic tribes and then 
yeah it, 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 and you know it was like what was there 500 years ago it was the mongol empire um so it, i think a lot of the difficulty just and then you see this like i think throughout russia's history has been trying to like uh form uh, a kind of modern state uh on that territory and it never has quite been the same as like you know it doesn't it, it's never quite fit into the kind of uh european like post westphalian order mm -hmm. where you have like these clearly like you know nations with these clearly defined boundaries even if the boundaries uh shifted later during later wars um and i think uh volodymyr ishenko uh in um in jacobin he's a mm -hmm. ukrainian uh economist uh commentator who's i think in berlin now but he had a pretty good analysis of like the basis of Russia's economy as like being very almost like a kind of, uh, let's say like a capitalist feudalism where you just have these oligarchs who, uh, not unlike American oligarchs who basically control like, uh, intellectual property and trade flows, uh, Russian oligarchs specifically their power and their wealth specifically lies on like fencing off this territory and, uh, basically being able to loot, there without uh sort of global competition um so in that way it's like what do you do with uh what do you do with an economy that's kind of built on that um no i think i think that that's the the interesting take alex um because like i you know it, it you know, to kind of go with what Jamie said, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I, that's my takeaway of like, or because I, I truly do believe, like, I think that like, Kurt was kind of just like, I'm just going to paint a picture. And then whatever people take away from it, I don't think he was like, really go like, of course, he has his own ideology that's kind of like left liberal ideology that he has that kind of they got they guided it. But frankly, I think it's really open to interpretation because, um, you know, if anything, I kind of like, uh, my one of my big takeaways is like if we ever you know get into power, it's like so important of like why you cannot allow, like, like you must defend the revolution at all costs because of like this these are these are like the these are the consequences of like of like what collapse looks like and so I mean so but again we can all have our different takes in terms of what you said Alex I think like it is it is interesting because even when you look at say. Uh, like moving away from say like capitalist states, just like looking at say like say China or say uh, looking at say you know Cuba or like you know Venezuela or even like say you know social democratic experiments like in Brazil for instance like it's just you see very dramatically different ways and I think it has a lot to do with like maybe has a little bit to do with just those societies are just different right it's like it I think like say. Perhaps a technocratic approach is maybe much more compatible with, say, uh, with China because of the history of those kind of approaches using governments in general in history, and big, and it's like not not so foreign as say like what's happened in other places. Whereas like say, I think about um, you know like in like, or I was like in Brazil, I, I pointing to that it's like the stuff with Workers Party and Lula. I think it's like uh, the and also in like Latin America broadly, the fact that it's like so so much emphasis that, you know, it's same in Western countries to be viewed as like identity politics. Like, oh, you're being so much of a liberal identity politics, but it's like, no, it's like because it, there's such a diversity of different ethnicities 
uh, and indigenous people in Latin America. It's like, no, that is like the, one could say primary contradiction or what have you, or it's like one of the primary things that people, uh, there's a social relation that governs the societies that you have to kind of engage with in the, uh, you know, based on the differences. So with Russia, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult, because people have kind of talked about it, you know, even before uh, Russian Revolution, it's like of being like this, this really uh, odd region in, in Europe. Well, Eastern Europe is very multi-ethnic as well. And that is one thing that came out a lot in the in the series, yeah. right? Like all of these old nationalisms and, you know, ethnic feuds start to reemerge now that there was not this unifying right. umbrella of the Soviet Union anymore. So how, why does it play out so differently there, do you think? I mean, I feel like part of it is just like, think, I mean, Alex could correct us but it's just i think part of it's just like soviet union did a bad job of like not being chauvinist in terms of russian uh chauvinism yeah there, there was two kind of uh countervailing forces because on the one hand uh in practice it was still very much obviously run by russians but uh on paper they still retained a lot of the kind of uh you know lenin had this sort of uh kind of affirmative action uh mm -hmm. program of like trying to promote um, national minorities, uh, as yeah, they were called. It. Yeah. So on the part of the Russians, there was a lot of this, uh, resentment that, you know, and again, for, for groups that are used to being, as we can see in the States, like for groups that are used to kind of being passively, uh, in the dominant position, they see any kind of, uh, minor token privileges being given to other groups as like an assault on them. Right. And as, a as a, you know, oh, like white people are oppressed. And uh, this is really the same way that a lot of, I think, um, and, you know, this would be stoked, I think, by uh, people like Yeltsin, definitely by people like Zhirinovsky, um, right. that oh, the Soviet Union was, uh, you know, run by these Jews who gave out all these privileges to national minorities and took away, even like gave away uh, historically Russian land. Uh, so you have that you have that kind of ethnic nationalism on the one hand, and then you have, of course, like the actual like the the minority ethnic nationalisms based on this history of like you know Russian imperialism, Soviet oppression, um, and you know both are both are true in their way, but um, people obviously picked up on using that for political ends. Like I mean, I, I think it, it's barely mentioned that there's there's not much in the series on Ukraine, but you do see a little bit of the, the hints of that because. At the beginning, like all the all the political actors in Ukraine are just former Communist Party figures who, it, like you know, they're all kind of swimming in the same pool. And then you see them opportunistically use these divisions. Like one one accuses the other of being a nationalist, and the other one accuses uh, the the previous one of uh, wanting to reunite with Russia. Right, and you can kind of see how. Like th this is kind of what uh, one of the th one of my like hobby horses about the way that um, the conflict, like the war in Ukraine, is reported in the Western media, even whether it's like pro-Russian or pro-Western. Uh, a lot of people like kind of reported as oh, it's like this deep-seated ethnic conflict with like going right. back centuries, and you know the ethnic Russians and the ethnic Ukrainians 
you know, the same way they kind of reported like the Yugoslav wars or some, or the Middle East conflict, right? And it's like it really like under underestimates the extent to which like this is all very modern shit that was created by like stirred up by politicians in the nineties, and basically like these divisions were created by the equivalent of like people being bombarded with like Fox News times a million uh, and kind of forming an, an identity around that. Um, yeah. The way the oligarchs just like fully seize control of the media was very instructive. Yeah. I mean, like it was, it was, they're like, they're like they, they basically were just like, no, we can only allow Yeltsin to be on the TV because if we allow any of the other candidates, particularly the communist party, they could, make the also not win the election which already and they already admitted like there was probably fraud but i mean i feel like even like voter fraud like they they say i think that's kind of like almost secondary if like you are able to manipulate people's opinion because like you can only get away with so much voter fraud like you can't you can't just so blatantly like just do so much voter fraud where it's like it's just like no like oh no Oh yeah, no. We also won by like a ninety percent. It's like okay. I mean, like the jig is up, right? It's like, and given like the state itself was already so weak at that point. Um, if it was a very strong state, it's very different. But it's um, I mean, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, you bring up like uh, like what's going on in Ukraine, and I think I mean, I think that sounds right in, in the sense of like I've seen like just horrendous like uh, horrendously racist uh, uh, things said about Ukrainians, but also horrendously racist things said about Russians. Um, and people were either side of the conflict in terms of like what what they're what they're arguing for. And and I, I remember seeing something just so absurd and I think a few months ago, where there's like this thread that went viral that was saying, Oh, why basically saying that Ru- the Russian people are the most genocidal people in human history and just like starts conflating everything that like the like, you know, the Kievan, going back to like the Kievan Rus and like the the Tsar and like and, and, and like wow. what happened under like, <laughs> get Soviet, out the calipers right. like, Soviet Union and it's like it's like that it's like it really reminds me of um, like uh, you know someone I know uh, has like this it said this really uh, insightful like simple thing to describe is like if your politics isn't rooted in like class like it's like a fundamental value then like what's left is like essentialism and in many ways it just ends up being race science yeah so it's like so it's like if if, if you're not if you're not if you're not engaging with material reality or materialism then like what are you talking about it's like oh no there's something fundamental essential about them as a person and that's how you get to these like absurd arguments like no there's something about being russian that makes you evil right yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, kind of all roads besides class lead to some kind of essentialism, um, right? Ultimately, um, I mean, you know, like superstructures do exist, right? And culture kind of emer- like culture emerges from material reality that, and that has some sort of effects that aren't directly material, but they're still indirectly material, right? So, like, and our, our job as socialists is to kind of trace those things and not to settle for the sort of surface level essentialist explanations um which is kind of like why i was talking about like sort of russian geographic history like there's like there's sort of a reason that you know certain forms of government uh, emerge in one region and kind of are stronger there than you know and like that the same kind of forms of government that emerge in like you know coastal mercantile states uh have more trouble emerging in like mm-hmm. mostly vast land-based territorial empires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What uh, any other points you guys wanted to hit? Stray, stray thoughts, lessons, favorite scenes. Uh, just 
Like, <laughs> well, I mean, now we know how to defeat a tank. That was pretty cool, right? You just like drop a giant cloth over it and they can't see. <laughs> pretty cool. It's like putting it over the, like if you have a bird, you just put the cloth over the birdcage and it goes <laughs> yeah, to sleep. <laughs> it goes to sleep. Like who knew you could do that with a fucking tank? Yeah, well, now, now, now we know based on like seeing historical um, documentary footage that we want people to watch for independent reasons than what, yeah. what we just described. Purely educational reasons. Educate yourself about history. Um, also, uh, definitely want to know more about the weird killer animal programs that the Soviets had, right? Oh, like yeah. it goes by very quickly, just like everything else in this, but like that was weird. apparently Stalin tried to breed a chimp with a human to make super strong humans. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, wait, what, what did I, did I read that correctly? And also there were killer dolphins that they trained during the Soviet era that now are being sold off to the circus. Like oh, Got, uh, those, go got, those got sold off to Iran. Uh, I think it, it was like it oh, was great. like spy dolphins that could be used to like uh, attach mines to submarine to enemy submarines. Uh, like they would just go and blow up an enemy submarine. But yeah, I think uh, I think I want to see that happen at the surface. <laughs> I think that would be pretty lit. I, I'm, I'm on a unironically team uh, dolphin liberation. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, this is a canonically Posadist yeah, show, just like the Antifada. This is, one, this is one thing I've carried over with me. Excellent. Yeah, uh, there's also like that like that, that little girl that like totally seals the show, the one that oh, is a total hustler. Amazing. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. Like, like, do you, she, I love the beggar child. She, she made me so uncomfortable when she first came on screen because she just had a gun in her hand. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. why am I watching this five-year-old have a fucking gun in their hand? I'm like, oh my, it was so uncomfortable. But turns out that she's just like the main character of the whole thing. Yeah, and she, she Damn, gets... Russia, you crazy. She gets capitalism. Because at the end, she's like telling a guy, you know, you're going to... You're filming this and you're like uh, making your career, but you're you're using my time too and I'm not getting paid. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's she's the sole breadwinner for her entire family. Like she definitely has a point. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 like a, how did how do they have so much footage of her? Like were they I, making a reality I think it was show like about a, I, her cuz I would watch that. I think there was some I think she did she did appear on some documentary. I guess you got to go back and look at BBC stuff. But I also stuff. think like like I think that's like one of the things they teach you um in journalism school, I think, of like if you're able to find like good good like you know characters or, or whoever or people like then just like keep following them like you know good good journal good journalist uh pieces and, and books like do this like a good example of like something in the past few years that you know we recommend anyone we recommend everyone read is um uh uh, uh you know uh what's that vincent bevitt's book uh the jakarta method where it's like uh like there's like three or four characters in the in the in the in the whole book that you know uh, vincent bevitt just kind of like zeroes in on and then just follows throughout the rest of the book as like uses their lives as like a way to ground the reader of like a larger history. It's like, that's like journalism at its best typically. Yeah. And like, it is crazy. The footage that they have in this. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, I, I found it always kind of like a little, a little interesting that, you know, kind of always ended it with like, uh, much, many, many, uh, you know, thank, thanks to all the hundreds of uh, 
BBC crew that filmed it. It was like, it, it was like kind of like almost a shocking and startling contrast to everything you're watching because it's, it's like, it, given like how everything's falling apart, right? It's like, it's like strange to see, like it's almost jarring to see like a very blatant, you know, solidarity and kind of like a, a great gratitude. That's, that's, that's being said. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, Adam Courage is right. He's like acknowledging the people who is really responsible for this to be possible because without all those footage and all those people who were out and out in the field, I mean, any of the places were like dangerous. Like, you know, they were flat out and like, they're like filming this place. It's like, oh, if everyone doesn't leave right now, you're going to get shot. And then they're still filming. And it's like, dude, like they could have gone shot themselves, right? They were yeah. there. They were literally there when it was happening. And so it's like, it's, if it wasn't for those, we wouldn't able to even see this. Yeah, that's. I'm also like that, that's that also so like it's. I mean, yeah, it's your everything you're saying is totally true. It also weirds me out sometimes because it's like, okay, who the hell was filming the prostitute going into the guy's hotel room and like, right, like how is right. there how where is the what's the camera man like? It's <laughs> a hidden camera show. <laughs> no, it's yeah. it's quite it's quite um remarkable in a sense of like uh. You know, well, I think I think it's definitely a skill, a willingness to just keep filming. Yeah, yeah. It'd be funny if Adam Curtis did it all himself. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be pretty impressed. Like he just went to the Soviet Union like forty years ago, and then just like kind of just like was like waiting and just recording a lot of footage. Just he's everywhere, man. Yeah. yeah. He knows. He knows your thoughts. I I sent <laughs> this to my mom to watch. I, I wonder if she'll. Uh... Oh. If she watches it, I'll, I, I want to kind of hear what she, how she thinks. Because she, I mean, she remembers all this stuff a lot better than me, obviously. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to get her take. Yeah. That must have been just fucking crazy to live through. Like, I can't even imagine. We were, like, listening to the Spice Girls here in the United States when all this shit was and happening. We, but they had the Russian Spice Girls. That's in there, remember? Right, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Stop erasing them, Jamie. Okay, my bad. Yeah, they had Spice Girls, too. Right. Uh, yeah, you're like, I can't, I can't possibly imagine what it's like to live through the uh, collapse of your society. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> we'll find uh, out. Well, one lesson from this is that it could always get worse. Yeah, yeah. Like even the shitty democracy we have here could get even worse, apparently. That's, that's fun. Yeah. That's fun to think about. Bright future ahead of us. Yeah. Oh yeah, boy. Maybe. And that's why we have to do the thing. Yeah, we won't do the thing. thing, but do the thing. We got it. We just got to do it, folks. Just got to put our heads together and do it. Just you know, before bad stuff happens. You know, you know, just um, think of like happy thoughts. You know, that's what we mean. Happy thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, pa- positive mental attitude. The sec- PMA. The the secret, but for leftists, just positive positive thinking and uh and uh manifesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I feel like we're done. <laughs> any unless anyone has any final thoughts. Do 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 where where can people find your work, Alex? Oh yeah. Um. Uh, I actually have a portfolio site up. It's just alexgambler.com. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Uh, and I actually have, uh, this is well-timed because I have a, I should have a review of this documentary where I say a lot of the things I said, uh, tonight, but, uh, also a lot of other stuff. Uh, it's coming out in uh, Metro magazine, which is, uh, an Australian 
film magazine. It should be out sometime next month. Uh, it's metromagazine.com.au. Um, but yeah, for my work, uh, you can find stuff in my portfolio. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, uh, it's at uh, Achilles Elbow. Uh, nice. Just one word together. Um, yeah. Check them out, folks. Right. And as always, you can also give us money at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism or fans.fm slash everybody loves communism. And you will get all of our good bonus content as well as access to our discord community, which is growing every day. And I will, yeah, I will message support. you personally on discord and say, I love you because I would. And he does. No. He's not lying. No. I say hi to every, it's true. I literally say hi to every single person that goes into the discord. That's the ELC promise. That's right. And we do. We do love you. We're not we're not even joking around about that shit. Yeah. Because socialism is just one big lava rama. That's right. Are you saying it's a polycule? Oh no, 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 no. Not let's not make it gross, okay? <laughs> this is just pure as a as a pl- undying comradely love. It's a platonicule. No homo. Platonicule. <laughs> Oh, what <laughs> Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Global friendship, yep. as they say. Yep, yep. All right, yeah, cool. Everybody do that. You've all been friend-zoned, but, but together in happiness. That's right. Under communism, all zones are friend-zones. Yep. That's right, folks. And I mean it in the good way. Yes. Not like, I probably have already. I don't know. It's been kicking around my broken brain for a while and not the bad kind of friend zone where you're like trying to fuck someone and she doesn't want to. So you just have to be friends with her. No, it's a good kind. It's like an unfrustrating, just like pure good friendship. It's what we're going to have. Yeah. And until next time, do the watching, do the friending, do the friending, do the friend zoning. (laughs) That's right. All right. We're done. Hell yeah, good job guys.